podcasting from Boulder, Colorado. This is the Baby Got Backstory podcast, where we dive into the story behind the story of today's most inspiring storytellers, creators, and entrepreneurs. I like big backstories, and I cannot lie. I am your host, Mark Gutman. I was first introduced to First Ascents in the most unlikely of places. But isn't that how the universe works? I was on a heli snowboard trip in British Columbia, Canada with a group of friends. And my focus that week was all about the snow and not much else. But one of the guys along on the trip was this guy, Ryan, who introduced himself as the executive director of First Descents. I had no idea what First Descents was, but as we got to talking, I learned that FD, as it's known, leverages the healing power of adventure to help young adults diagnosed with cancer. I then learned that young adults are the most underserved market in this fight. Think about it. If you're a child, you have your family there to take care of you, a built-in support system. And if you're older, you've often established a life, family, a career, you have medical insurance, probably a home, that extended family to take care of you. But as I heard Ryan talk, I went right back to my 20s, where every day was a fight to hold on a job, make friends, meet a spouse, pay my rent. And I couldn't even imagine having to deal with fighting cancer at that age. But as I heard Ryan talk, I went right back to my 20s, where every day was a fight to hold down a job, make friends, meet a spouse, pay my rent. And I couldn't even imagine fighting cancer at that age, at that time in my life. And my eyes welled up, and at that moment, I knew I was in. Since then, I've supported First Descents with a little money and a lot of time. I volunteered as a camp photographer on a kayak program, and will be doing the same this year on a rock climbing program. Last year, I found myself on a river with 16 participants, some of which are doing well today, and others who are still fighting. The transformation I personally experienced in each of these patients as they paddled, rolled, and swam for their lives was nothing short of a miracle. We laugh, we cried a lot, and we bonded in a way that will forever connect us. I've had the privilege to work with the First Descents team, helping them to evolve the next chapter of their story as it relates to their mission, values, purpose, and brand. Approximately 70,000, yes, 70,000 young adults are diagnosed annually and comprise the fastest growing and most underserved oncology age demographic. And while those numbers are huge and stunning, cancer is a very personal disease. It was extremely personal for Brad Ludden, a professional kayaker, who inspired by his aunt's diagnosis, went on to found First Ascents and is now on a mission to help every young adult diagnosed. Brad Ludden, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It's good to be here. So, Brad, I have to say, even though this show is very young, we have never, ever had a 2008 Cosmopolitan Magazine's <laughs> Hottest Bachelor in America uh, participant on the show. Like, what's that all about? You were doing so well, right? Yeah, I thought... <laughs> it, you, I'm sorry. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, that. That was a pretty entertaining experience. One I certainly wouldn't do again, nor would I wish it upon my worst enemy, but it was, uh, 
it was memorable and as noted by our conversation it comes up time and again but <laughs> at the end of the day it was good exposure for a young and growing organization first descents which I'm sure we'll talk about but uh so, so there was that there was upside how's that yeah we won't get too much that. in we won't get too much into it but i have to ask how did that come about uh you know it's funny uh, despite what most people think, I didn't nominate myself. Uh, I, I'm not that much of a glutton for punishment. Uh, a friend of mine, unbeknownst to me, nominated me, and then I got a call one day from a New York number, and out of curiosity, I an- answered the phone, and this woman, young woman comes on, and she's like, is this Brad? And I was like, it is. She's like, oh, my goodness. I have the most exciting news. And I was like, and the whole time, I'm like, what is going on? She was like, You're, we just chose you as... Colorado's hottest bachelor for Cosmo. And I was like, I was like, all right, who is this? This, you know, funny. That's a joke. You got me. She took about half an hour convincing me it was real. And then I was like, oh man, what, what is about to happen? And one thing led to another and they, the magazine chose me as America's hottest bachelor of all the 50 bachelors from each state. Um, you know, like I said, it was good exposure for the nonprofit. There was a lot of high profile media and I, used every chance I got to just talk about first descents. So at the end of the day, it was a win, but um, it was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, it sounds like quite an experience for a kid from Wyoming and Montana. Uh, understand that's where you grew up. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your uh, early years there in, in Wyoming and Montana and what that was like? Yeah, I, I feel really fortunate to have been raised uh, in the mountains. You know, you're, you live in Colorado, you get it. I think the quality of life and, and as a young man, a young boy at the time, uh, spending the weekends backpacking or skiing or, or paddling down rivers. I didn't know any different, but in hindsight, I think it was just such a great way to, to, to grow up, to experience things, to connect with nature and, and to, you know, throughout those formative years and, and really connect with my family and friends. And so, um, that was really the springboard for me to pursue kayaking at a professional level was having been raised in these, remote areas of the country and, and spending my weekends outside and, and really a lot of it was just kayaking. Uh, and so, so much of my, my current reality and the good things in it are, uh, can be traced back to those early days in Wyoming, Montana with my family. Yeah. And, you know, I think you mentioned kayaking and, and for those of the people listening who don't know, Brad is a uh, professional whitewater kayaker, was named as Nike's first sponsored whitewater kayaker, uh, won many competitions, but has actually used kayaking as a way to address uh, cancer and use it as a healing uh, mechanism with cancer. And so, you know, it all started with a kayak. Like, tell me about that first time you saw a kayak. Oh man, I got to be honest. The first time I saw it, I was, I was scared. <laughs> I think, and I think that's, you know, it, and now after teaching thousands of people to kayak, mostly through first descents, that's a pretty normal reaction. Uh, you know, you see this thing, uh, your, your mind immediately goes to this place of being trapped underwater and goes into this panic mode. Uh, it's a very unnatural feeling at first. And so for, for me, I started kayaking when I was nine years old. That's when I my parents bought me my first kayak, and uh, I just remember the first couple of years. I, I we we joke now we call it kayaking. I would spend all day every day on the river just crying in my kayak, uh, and then just get out. I, I was just uh, mortified. I was so scared of it. And then I had a turning point when I was about eleven. I uh, through various things learned to just fall in love with the sport, and from that day forward, it was like but it, more than a, an obsession. I just could not get enough of it. I, I lived for it. Every waking moment was spent thinking about it, chasing it. 
getting out of school early, skipping school, traveling the world. Like that's all I wanted to do. So do you have a memory of that defining moment when you were 11 years old of like what, what that turning point was? Do you, do you have a sense of what made the, the switch for you? You know, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Uh, my sister and I started kayaking at the same time. She's about two years older than me. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I was alone in this, but as a young man, I was very competitive with my sister and we were kayaking and as I was progressing or not progressing as the case was, she was getting better and better at it. She was getting all this attention for it. Uh, and I just remember a weekend where I chose not to kayak. I was going to sell my kayak. My parents were like, yeah, it's fine. Do whatever you want. And we went to the river as a family anyway and spent the weekend on the river. And I remember watching my sister kayak and get all this attention. She was so good at it. Uh, and I just decided I couldn't have that. I couldn't live with my sister being better than me at something. And so for all the wrong reasons, I tried kayaking again and uh, just came at it with a renewed perspective and probably determination uh, and, and just fell head over heels in love with it. And to this day, it's still my favorite thing to do. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Sometimes, you know, our backstory and the things that drive us are not always the most, uh, you know, the most pure or the most original, but flattering, but they are what they are, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just the truth, you know? So what do you love about kayaking so much? Uh, So many things. I, I, I've spent a lifetime trying to figure that out because of how much I love it. I think it boils down to a few key things. One is that rivers are, are such a, uh, they're ever present. There's such a source of life around the world and they're everywhere. I mean, that's, you know, where, where all life seems to, to gravitate toward or, or uh, grow out of. And um, so they become these almost conveyor belts to see a place in a way that you can't otherwise see one, whether that's a remote gorge, no one's kayaked or a remote village in, in a far corner of the earth that no one's really spent time in. Uh, you know, whatever it is, you, you sort of enter onto these conveyor belts and just travel through a place in time in a way that you just couldn't otherwise do it. Uh, and so I think that's a huge part of it. Um, the natural beauty and energy surrounding rivers and water is, uh, is unparalleled in my opinion. And so just to, to put yourself with that purpose of kayaking into these beautiful places uh, is so inspiring. And that I've personally found it's such a great way to connect with other people. Um, my best friends to this day are still the ones that I've paddled with or met on rivers. Uh, you form this, this bond that is just, um, you can't really create it that I found in any other way. Rivers just have this life and magic about them and this way of connecting us and bringing us together that I, I just honestly, despite my best efforts, cannot replicate. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and we, we a lot of times I like to say that uh, story is the way we tribe by sharing our story. Sure. That's an actual story or just sharing things about us. And uh, the, what I'm hearing from you is that kayaking is the way that you tribe, is, is that how you find that, that tribal uh, togetherness. Yeah, absolutely, 100%, without question. No, that's cool. So let's switch gears a little bit. Why don't you tell me about your first experience with cancer and how it affected you? Yeah, that was uh, equally memorable for me. My aunt was diagnosed with cancer when I was in my early teens. And I just, I'll never forget walking home. Uh, we'd actually been out for the whole weekend as a family adventuring and we came home and this was back when we had answering machines. 
And, you know, it's like, you have eight new messages. So we were going through the messages and we we're all kind of like doing our thing, but listening in the background. And uh, all of a sudden my aunt, uh, aunt Lori, her voice came on and it was frantic and she was crying. My dad was a physician at the time. And she was just like, you know, it, her, her, his sister. Uh, and so she was just like, you need to call me immediately. You know, I, I've, I have cancer. And I immediately, I was just so devastated because I, I didn't know what cancer was. I'd heard about it, but I didn't really understand it. And, and so all I could think was my aunt is going to die, which, you know, frankly, I think unfortunately is a pretty realistic reaction even today. And um, we spent the next two years uh, kind of supporting her and going along with her through her own cancer experience, uh, which was tumultuous. It was disruptive. Uh, it was devastating. You know, it was everything. She was a young adult, so she was in her late 30s, which is the demographic we now serve at First Ascent. And so she had, was newly married, had started her job, was looking to start a family, and all those things got pretty disrupted by this, this experience, this diagnosis. Uh, and that really had an impact on me. I just remember feeling very helpless. Uh, I felt like there, I wanted to do something but didn't know what to do. Uh, and so shortly after she had had kind of made it through the physical components of her of her fight uh, and kind of got her body cleared of the cancer. Uh, all that to say she's still dealing with a lot of the emotional psychosocial issues that it caused. But um, that sort of, once that bandwidth freed up, if you will, I started really focusing my own energy and efforts and time, free time on trying to support people who were going through the same fight with cancer. And, uh, initially that started with me teaching kids how to kayak and I'd go to these summer camps for kids with cancer. Cause that's all that existed. And I'd take all my kayaks with me and I'd show up and, you know, find a pond and take these kids and spend a day or two kayaking with them. Uh, and that just had a really profound impact on me. It, it brought so much meaning uh, to, to a sport that I already love so much, but it had this whole dimension of, of love and meaning to it. Uh, and I think I saw, I think, you know, I, I want to think, I saw a positive impact in their lives too. And that was the seed that was planted that grew into what is now called first descents. So, you know, going back to your story about kayaking being so scary for you and you calling it kayaking, like why did you think that that was even a good thing to introduce to, to cancer <laughs> patients who are you know, most likely going through a struggle, they're scared, they might be weak, they, they might be battling death, and you're like, hey, I'm going to put you in a kayak and make you cry. Like where, where, where does that come from? It's a great question, man. I think part of it is like that's, uh, A, it's all I knew, right? It's like the one gift that I had to give. And I, I did know deep down that, because it had, you know, personally had impacted my life so positively and it had led to so much personal growth and transformation in me. I was like, this thing can, you know, kayaking can be that, that experience for other people and I can create the experience. To your point, I was like, probably that point, yeah, I was a professional athlete. I'd forgotten about the kayaking days and I was like, kayaking's great. And uh, I, in teaching some of these kids, I did start to see that kayaking component pop up. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. I have to be delicate here and, and patient and make sure that we really steward them through a, a positive experience. But, you know, it, most good things in life come with challenge. And I think the same is true with kayaking. And I just knew that if we could deliver this experience in, an, in a positive way to people with cancer, that it could be transformational. And I, I truly believe that. It's funny, Mark, because to your point, like when we actually started the organization, we had to go out and try to find participants to, to attend a program. The medical community asked the same question. They're like, wait, you like, 
you want me to send someone who I've diagnosed with cancer, who's in treatment, who's sick, who's, you know, maybe weak. And you want me to send them to you, this 18 year old kid or 19 year old kid at the time. And you, you want to take them on this extreme adventure, you know, that it was just, they were like, absolutely not, you know, go pound sand, you're out of your mind. Um, but we were persistent because we, we did believe and still believe that it can be a therapeutic healing experience if you, if you can do it. Yeah. And, you know, with my experience with first ascents, you know, something that I find really to be a great, as in a metaphor or analogy is that, you know, the river really doesn't care whether you have cancer or not. And there's something really powerful in that. And there's something in saying, look, you have to rise to this challenge. You have to overcome this obstacle. And there's almost something uh, transformative and, and like a transmute, you know, a transference of, of power when you're able to overcome uh, one obstacle, such as the river, and then apply that to the other obstacle, such as, you know, recovery from cancer. Absolutely. Uh, it's been, I think our society has a way of, of treating people differently after their diagnosis. And a lot of times that means, you know, treating them like they're fragile. Uh, and so many of our participants being young adults in the prime of their lives, physically, socially, professionally, um, feel like they don't have that opportunity and you put them in nature and you, you, we make it safe. Obviously we're not like endangering their lives per se, but, but, but to your point, like the river doesn't discern, it doesn't say, well, you know, like the public does, Oh, you have cancer. Well, let's give you, let's give you a pass on this rapid. Um, it treats everyone with, with that equal level of challenge. And so when you, as a, as our participant, when they get down to the bottom of these rapids in a kayak and, on their own, they turn around, look back up at what they've just done. That sense of accomplishment and growth and transformation is very real because they know that they earned it. Uh, and I think it's that, you know, that's a huge part of why these programs are so successful in empowering participants to regain that control of their lives and their body and go out and, and sort of uh, face their, um, face, face their fight with a different perspective. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I can speak firsthand as I've, I've been on some programs uh, with First Ascents that, you know, getting back to the idea that, you know, kayaking allows us to tribe, it also allows these um, young, young adults that are diagnosed to tribe and to find people that are like them and to find people and share experiences uh, that are like them that, um, th that they normally wouldn't have that opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, I, one of the, I would say the most consistent uh, thing that we hear from our participants uh, when they attend a program, perhaps the most damaging part of their diagnosis oftentimes is a sense of isolation and alienation. You know, we, we're very social creatures and especially as young adults, that's like our tribe is, is you know, mo we, we don't have uh, maybe a more established tribe because we've just gone to college or, or started a new job or moved to a new city or started a new relationship or we have a young growing family, but you know, we're, that tribe is so important at that age. And to feel like you've been isolated or alienated is just so damaging. And so what we do is, is use these outdoor adventures as catalysts to create that new tribe around that shared experience of cancer. And the bond that, it, that, that forms is uh, arguably more powerful than, than family sometimes even. Certainly more powerful a lot than a lot of the social bonds that we had previously known. And, uh, you know, brings a, for me, it's, it's really brought this whole new meaning or, or highlighted the power of tribe and, and what that can look like. 
uh, because man, these guys certainly become one after they share these adventures. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to when, when you started this whole thing, you were, you were doing some work on your own. You were just kind of bringing your kayaks. Like, like how did that lead to actually become first descents? Oh boy. <laughs> there were, there were some pretty difficult years in there. Uh, to paint the picture, I was 18. I decided not to go to college, uh, which by my parents, especially my dad, just wasn't really enthused about the decision. Uh, and I was, you know, I decided to per- pursue a path as a young professional extreme kayaker, which, you know, it's the most obscure sport on the planet. No one could make money doing it. Uh, and it's dangerous. And so my parents were, were, they didn't tell me no, but they certainly didn't say they were going to pay me to do it. You know, uh, <laughs> they weren't going to support it. <laughs> uh, and so I, you know, I was pretty determined. I, I set out with my kayaks, taught these guys, saw something there, and then went back to my parents and said, Hey, I'm going to start this. I want to start a nonprofit teaching people with cancer how to kayak free of charge. And they, my dad was just like shaking his head. Like I give up. <laughs> I don't even know what to tell you at this point. Uh, and so I spent the next two years just, opening every door in front of me, talking to anyone who would listen and speaking from a place of passion. Uh, and what I found is like, if you, if you go out into the world with that perspective and, and that motivation, that things, you know, and, and maybe determination, uh, that things just really start to fall into place. Uh, I found myself having a conversation on the river one day with a buddy who was an attorney and he said, well, do you have a 501c3? And I didn't even know what that was. And I was like, well, no, what is it? He was like, well, you need that if you want to be a nonprofit. And I was like, oh, great. I don't know how I'm going to figure this out. He goes, well, I'll do it for you. You know, he's like, I admire what you're doing. I know that kayaking is a powerful tool. I believe in this. I'll help you. You know, it's just like one thing like that after another, we found our medical director, uh, an, an oncologist living in Vail, part, partly retired, had read a story in the Vail Daily about what we were trying to do. And called me up out of the blue and said, I want to get involved. And it was, you know, just kind of kept falling into place. Now, granted, it wasn't without its hurdles or challenges, as I mentioned earlier, about just trying to find participants who would attend the program was almost impossible. But we just didn't give up. And the snowball that started with, you know, me sort of rolled into this giant thing that gained momentum and, you know, to this day now is is bigger and faster and, and more powerful than ever. And we have so many people that have joined this, this effort, this collective effort to see it happen. But boy, it was a little lonely there in the early days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did you think it was just ever not going to fly? Oh man. Like every other day for sure. I, I like, I got knocked down and told no and, and screwed up and, you know, had so many roadblocks it, literally every other day. Uh, yeah, I didn't have any money. I ran any money I had, I put into it, but that didn't get us very far. And, you know, it was just one thing after another. And I always remember there was sort of this, uh, my mom was very consistent. Like anytime I just felt like I couldn't go on or it wouldn't work or it was going to be a failure, I would call her and she would just say, Hey buddy, like stick with this, you know, something good will come of this. And so she was the light at the end of the tunnel for me when there wasn't one. And then, you know, finally after two years, uh, Nike gave us a grant, which really helped. We, we had some really fortuitous connections. We finally found some participants to attend. Uh, that light at the end of the tunnel became real. And, you know, for, for two years, I didn't know if this would happen. And if it happened, I didn't know if it would work, you know, if it'd be effective. And so really running on faith for two full years. And then, 
like I said, that first program happened. And by the end of the week, the transformation, Mark, you've seen it, you've been to one that, you know, the physical, social, emotional transfer transformation you see in these participants was so real and palpable that it lit a fire in all of us who saw it that has grown and, and still burns very bright today. Yeah. Which is awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so powerful and it's, it's so amazing. So you hear that kids, you don't have to go to college. You can be in a fringe <laughs> sport. You don't have to have money and you can start a nonprofit that can change the world. But you know, oh, don't, let anyone, don't let anyone tell you. No. <laughs> <laughs> so you, know, you talk about your um, fortuitous connections and I know that you have a lot of relationships and really, you know, from my perspective, my observation of you is that is that's how you make your world go around is through your relationships and through telling the FD story. How important is it to be able to tell that story uh, clearly to, to, to the world? It's everything to me. I, I can tie back every success we've had or connection we've made or dollar we've raised to, to our ability, my ability, personally, I can speak, you know, on, my, on behalf of myself, I think as an organization on, on our ability to, to tell that story, to tell our story, because it's a very unique story. It's a very um, uh, sort of non-traditional path, if you will, toward healing, which fortunately now after 20 years has actually become somewhat recognized and, and uh, you know, people are getting behind it, both in the scientific community and the greater public. But it, it really comes back to being able to connect with people through that story. Uh, and that's, that has, like I said, I could trace back every piece of success we've had to that. Yeah, and that, that brings up another another question. You know, it's really easy today, 20 years later, as you're gaining acceptance and there's, you know, research to support your alternative way of healing and everyone can pat you on the back and say, great job. And you can say, I knew it all along. Like, <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you maintain the faith, like in those years when people are telling you you're crazy that, you know, adventure is not a legitimate form of treatment? And how do you keep the faith and just keep plugging? Because there's always that moment where you're like, am I like onto something different and just feeling the resistance? Or am I, am I crazy and, and going down the wrong path? That's a really good question, man. I got to be honest. Like there, there were dark days along the way in the past 20 years, really dark days. And uh, for me, I've, I've always leaned on those around me, uh, whether that's a board member or a donor or a participant or a family member, you know, just calling those people on those darkest days and just saying, you know, could, I just need a reminder. Like, could you remind me that what we're doing it, it does work. It is good. And we shouldn't quit. You know, it just, just as simple as that, like asking for that help. Um, because there, there were days when I just didn't have the faith, you know, when I didn't have the will to continue, I just didn't, I was so depleted and so exhausted and so beat down that I didn't have what it took. And, you know, I've been so fortunate to have these amazing mentors around me and these incredible, you know, beautiful people that are so bright and, and always there when you need them. Uh, and just calling on them, leaning on them has been for me that, you know, the, the saving grace to this organization to, to persevere in times when it just seemed impossible or, or, you know, not worthwhile to do so. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the, the greatest traditions of First Ascents is, is this idea of nicknames. When, when everyone enters the program, they get a nickname for life. Um, I've been told your nickname is Man Salmon, although you have <laughs> many nicknames as I understand it. Tell me a little bit about nicknames. Like where does that come from and why is that so important to First Ascents? Yeah, it's cool. We do. We have a lot of traditions that have, have sprouted up over the years, this being the oldest one. Uh, and it was an accident. We at our very first program, uh, we had three people named Brad, obviously myself included. And it was somewhat difficult to, to you know, 
differentiate because anytime someone say Brad, you get three people answering. And so we just decided, well, let's give nicknames and then that way we can tell everyone apart. Uh, and, and that kind of spread like wildfire. Everyone wants a nickname now. And, uh, and so we did it and then it, we did it the next hand and the next hand, just because that's what traditions are. You just kind of do it cause it was fun. And what we found though, is it, is it, you know, nicknames aren't specific or special to us, even uh, whether it's in the military or hiking the Appalachian or Pacific crest trail or doing any monumental task or undertaking or defining thing in your life uh, often comes with a nickname. And I think it's because we, we develop this new pers- person, you know, we persona this new identity uh, with that triumph or with that challenge. Uh, and, and for our participants, it's really especially poignant. If you think about it, you know, coming to us with this diagnosis of cancer, with this new reality that's, that has a host of challenges associated with it. Uh, and for the first time, oftentimes since that diagnosis, finding that strength, finding that confidence in your body, again, finding that community or tribe, uh, it only makes sense that you should start, you, you should associate a new name with that because it's the beginning of, of someone and something so new and so beautiful and positive and strong born out of a place that was not that way. And so our participants, man, they, it's, they live for this stuff, you know, like they get that name and, and it is everything. A lot of, a lot of tattoos have come out of it. You know, people refuse to, to acknowledge them by themselves, by their, their old names, if you will, especially in, in the first descent settings. And it's just become a really beautiful, cool part of FD. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, put it into story terms, right? It's, it's, you have a new character you be, you, to enter into a new story and you can rewrite a new story and you're not held back by that old story uh, that you're, you're kind of running in your head and playing about that you're sick or that you're not strong enough or you can't get better. Uh, and I also love the idea that uh, you've created something where people, I always say, we want to create loyal brands where people tattoo that brand on their body, <laughs> but rarely does that happen. Right. But you have done it, my friend. You oh, have man. For better or worse, we, we actually just got a, I got an email two days ago and some, another one of our participants tattooed the bug on his, our, our FP bug on his arm. Every time I get those emails, I'm so moved and inspired, but I'm also reminded that we can never change our logo. <laughs> <laughs> That's a powerful brand, Mark. Do you ever get a, do you ever get a call from any parents or uh, any spouses saying, well, no, man. You know? no, fortunately we haven't had any, any negative blowback there, but uh, it's, yeah, it's a testament to, to the power of this experience and, and the tribe that has grown from it. Certainly, as I said, poignant reminder for our marketing team to not mess with our logo. <laughs> so FD, First Ascents, as it's known in, in short form, has been around 20 years. You know, what, what are you doing today? Like, where, where are you spending your time? Uh, I think, you know, for better or worse, a lot of my time is, is spent on advancing the the. the the mission through development, um, you know, fundraising, very simply. So <laughs> uh, telling that story that we've talked about, going out and connecting with new people in new ways through the story of this organization, uh, trying to inspire them to get involved with it uh, and certainly financially support it because it's a nonprofit. And at the end of the day, no matter what, we rely on charity. You know, we, we're, we're creative in how we fundraise and we're always looking for sustainable, scalable ways. But at the end of the day, it comes down to good natured people and foundations and organizations giving us that money. Uh, and so that's a big part of my job is to just grow the tribe, if you will. Uh, another part of my job, or at least I tell people this because I like this part of it is looking at the future of FD. Uh, when we started, it was everything we could do to piece together one week 
15 participants teaching him how to paddle in Colorado, you know, and, and we always joke that someday our, our, you know, our goal should be to serve a thousand people in one year. And we never thought it was possible. Well, we've exceeded that now we're serving, you know, between 1500 and 2000 participants this year. And, you know, the question is now, how do we serve everybody in the young adult cancer demographic that needs it here in the U S how do we provide adventure as a healing uh, experience to everyone in need of it who could benefit from it? Uh, and then looking internationally, what are the opportunities there? How can we partner with affiliates who are, who are, you know, work, working with us to replicate this program in their home country to, to serve their participants there. And just, you know, kind of always looking at opportunities to deliver this to as many people in as meaningful way as possible. What are you most excited for next? And, and that might be it, but uh, what, what are you looking forward to right now? Uh, I'm looking forward. We, we're actually piloting a program uh, for people with MS, young adults with MS. Uh, and this is a really exciting, interesting thing for me. I think it's been so cool to watch our participants embrace this expansion or, or this pilot program. Uh, because what we've seen is that young adults with MS, if you take away the disease and look at the psychosocial implications, are dealing with almost the same things, you know, isolation, alienation, anxiety, depression. So it's really exciting to think, can this be applicable to them? Can we help people in that, in that place? And the MS communities just embrace this concept so fully. It's a very underserved community, just like young adults with cancer. So I'm really excited to see if the, if the healing power of adventure can extend into, into that demographic. Uh, beyond that, I, I have to be honest, I'm so excited about the team that we have in place. Um, we, for the first time ever, we have a, an amazing, large team of people passionate, qualified, dedicated, working on this mission day in and day out. And it's like that flywheel analogy where I feel like it's starting to spin on its own a little bit, which is really exciting. Um, and then for me personally, I'm just excited to get out of some adventures, <laughs> get back into the field. Uh, you know, as you grow, your role changes and you sort of serve, put on whichever hat is, is required at the time, whether that's washing toilets or moving the office or fundraising or whatever it is. Um, but a lot of times, you know, by necessity, you lose touch of the physical mission. You know, you're not out in the field on these adventures. And so personally, I'm always looking forward to getting back outside, going to these programs, going on these adventures, because that's what makes everything else worth it. That's incredible. Yeah. And, you know, we, we question of the day here, you know, we find that most great businesses start from either frustration, inspiration, or desperation. Which one <laughs> would you say is yours? Oh man, uh, for me, it was inspiration for sure. Uh, I've always been so inspired by the outdoors and the impact they had on me. I was inspired by my aunt's courage through her own fight and certainly inspired by those kids that I taught back in the late nineties, how to kayak. And so it's uh, FB for me has always been fueled by inspiration uh, and continues to be now more than ever. Even. And, and how, how did your aunt fare in that fight? Is she with us today? She is. She's, she's alive. Uh, she survived her cancer, which is great. Um, as I mentioned earlier in, in, in the conversation, she, uh, certainly was dealing and, and probably still is dealing with some of the, uh, you know, the less physical implications, you know, uh, some of the more psychosocial implications, everything from the anxiety and depression, the fear of recurrence, the, you know, the trauma, the sort of PTSD almost of, of having something so traumatic in your life stays with you or it stayed with her. 
Um, unfortunately, you know, to your question just a second ago, the desperation was there too, because my aunt just had no resources. Young adults with cancer, there's over 70,000 diagnosed in the U.S. each year. That's uh, in, in comparison, there's about 10 to 12,000 pediatric patients. And so it's a, it's a large population that gets very little attention, has unique challenges that they're facing. Uh, and, and my aunt just was, you know, her diagnosis, unfortunately, came at a time when there were no resources available to support her through that, through that challenge. She, didn't, she wasn't able to connect in meaningful ways and find her tribe after her diagnosis. Uh, and so that's really left a mark on her. And she's an amazing woman and doing well, but it's sad to see that, you know, nowadays, if you're diagnosed with a young adult, fortunately, there are things like First Descent and so many other great uh, nonprofits out there to support you and connect you. Uh, and she just didn't have it. How does she feel now knowing that she's the muse behind this entire movement? I mean, you think back to that one instance, that one defining moment in your story and how it has that butterfly effect and think about all the participants that have been affected because of her challenge, her, 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 her challenge with cancer and her getting sick. I mean, it just yes. almost blows the mind. It's pretty pretty wild to think about the domino effect, right? And and the ripple effect, if you will, that has uh, sort of radiated outward from her own diagnosis. And I think she she's a humble person, and, and she <laughs> she gets pretty uncomfortable if, if we talk about it. But then you go in, into her house, and every wall is covered with first to sense everything. Um, she lives and breathes it. She's so so excited about it. I think she's so proud of it. Uh, she would never take any any ownership or claim any sort of part of the success, even though she was so much of the impetus for, for even starting. So, um, it's a pretty cool thing to witness. So in her own ways, she did, you know, she did get something good out of it. It just came a little later than maybe it was ideal. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we just get these great things that we don't plan for or don't see right away, but, uh, it's, it's really, really incredible. Yeah. Great point. Oh, that's really, really, really cool. So what are, can, can you tell me one of your favorite movies or like one of your favorite books or, or, or something of that nature? Oh man. You know, <laughs> it sounds weird, but I love Lonesome Dove. Uh, it's just a classic old Western novel. It's, you know, it's written in a way that's just so real and relatable and growing up in the mountain West. I've always romanticized those early days, you know, being a cowboy out here. Uh, just it's something so appealing to me and that novel really captures it and it inspires a sense of adventure in me and I I'm I know most people who read it really identify with this character Gus in it and, and so he's sort of my North Star and on how to act as a man and how to be in the world and live with curiosity and sort of a playful joy regardless of your age and I never forget to make time for a good adventure that's so awesome. Yeah. And we asked that, right? Because we gain so much insight and so much understanding from people when we, um, when we can connect with, with the, uh, the books and the movies and, and the popular culture that they connect with. And so we just learned probably more about you in that little segment than, than most of the interview. <laughs> yeah. We, we wasted everyone's time. We should have just cut to that part of it. <laughs> we'll That's edit it. Book. See you later. <laughs> we'll edit it and put that up front. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> if you know nothing else, listen to this. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about Stoke Broker? Yeah, man, sure. Yeah, it's, you know, it's super new and, and in its infancy. But what I realized with First Descent was that, that adventure was imperative and that adventure is also fleeting and unattainable oftentimes. And just like I was in a position to create the experience of kayaking for people, adventure is sort of the one thing I, I know that I have access to that my network can build. 
being an athlete traveling around the world for the better part of my life, I just connected with all these people around the world that can help build these un, uh, unparalleled, customized, beautiful adventures that are so authentic. Uh, and a lot of our donors uh, were kind of coming to me like, hey, I, you know, I want to go on an adventure. Can I go on a river trip? Can I do this? Uh, and I found myself almost <laughs> becoming a part-time job, like planning these for our friends. Uh, and so I just said, thought, wow, there's really a need here. And for me, selfishly, it's a great way to connect with people who can support the mission of First Descents uh, and go on these adventures. And, and so I just found myself uh, starting a little business out of it and using it as a way to, to break down those barriers to entry to having a, a really good, you know, life-defining, memorable adventure. Uh, and so the business is kind of this concierge adventure service, if you will. So it's been really fun and, and symbiotic for FD and, uh, you know, both play in the same space and serve different roles and, and needs, but both, you know, the whole goal at the end of the day is to have more people having more adventures and bringing the awareness around the importance of those and then really shining the light on first descents as a vehicle to, to help people heal through adventure. So it, it's been fun. I, I would say that the majority of my time spent on first descents, but uh, we've got a great team in place at Stoke Broker, which uh, is building some awesome, cool adventures for amazing people right now. So I'm, I'm really proud of that too. Yeah, I'm always so inspired by people that have found the magic or secret sauce. I know everything isn't rosy every day, but the ability to uh, blend the things you love to do, like getting outside with serving the world in a way that uh, is bigger than yourself is something that always continues to inspire me. And so I thank you, Brad, so much for what you're doing out there for the young adult cancer population uh, and for adventure in general. And thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks, Mark. I always appreciate it, man. It's great to talk to you. It's an honor to be here. You got it. And can you just, uh, before we go, can you tell people where they can learn more about Stoke Broker and First Descents? Certainly, yeah. First Descents is uh, first, F-I-R-S-T, Descents, D-E-S-C-E-N-T-S, like the first time down the river, dot org. Uh, and that's got everything. Uh, if you want to apply for a program or you know young adult who might benefit from this, please send them to that website and get them connected. You know, the adventure starts there and we have so many opportunities, all free of charge for people uh, in those positions. Uh, certainly, if you want to find out more or, or support it or get involved, it all starts there too. And then Stoke Broker is just Stoke Broker, not Stock Broker, StokeBroker.com. <laughs> uh, and that that's a very young company. As I said, we're going through branding process here shortly. Mark, I should probably have a conversation with you about it uh, and trying to kind of get that thing fully functioning. Uh, here by the end of the year. So give give that one a minute, but there is a placeholder site up now and you can learn more. Well, listeners, and I can I can wholeheartedly recommend Brad, if his uh, site isn't up, don't let that affect you. Go ahead and check out Stoke Broker and book a trip because he'll take you on an adventure of a lifetime. Brad, thank you so much. And we'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it, bro. Got it. See you. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each year. In case you think adventure healing is fluffy stuff, there are several well-documented studies linked here in the show notes that show a direct correlation between the outdoor program's First Descents delivers and the healing of young adult oncology patients. First Descents is not only limited to oncology patients. This year marks the first program to serve young adults diagnosed with MS. Oh, and my First Descents nickname? Just call me Hollywood. 
Make sure to visit our website, www.wildstory.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. I like big stories and I cannot lie. You other storytellers can't deny. Baby got backstory. You'll also find free story downloads and resources to help you integrate the power of story into your business. 